All right, this is Jay Geyer, and I welcome you to the podcast. So as a reminder, we uh, talk about cool stuff that really pretty much only geeky <laughs> um, people who operate practices, right, are interested in or people who support those people. And I jokingly say geeky, but uh, it is a little little different. And so today I want to talk about a couple of big ideas. And I was thinking about this, you know, I have been helping doctors grow their practices for a long, long time and have some, you know, pretty incredible stories. But I was thinking back about a few of the discoveries over the years and kind of the reason I do this podcast is to memorialize some of those things. And so I'm going to share two of them with you today and we'll go around them a little bit. Um, but I want to read you something. There was a book. Uh, it's called How to Win Customers and Keep Them for Life. It's actually one of my favorite books about customer service. And it starts out and it talks about the nice customer. I'm a nice customer. You all know me. I'm the one who never complains no matter what kind of service I get. I'll go into a restaurant, sit quietly while the waiter or waitress gossip, never bother to ask if anyone has taken my order. Sometimes a party that came in after I did gets my order, but I don't even complain. When I go to a store to buy something, I don't throw my weight around. I try to be thoughtful of other people. If there's a snooty salesperson, I don't get upset. Um, I, I want to look, you know, because I want to look at several things. I'm just polite as I can be. I don't believe in rudeness is, is the answer to bad service, okay? And this goes on. I never kick. I never nag. I never criticize. I wouldn't dream of making a scene, right? And I won't read you this whole thing, right? It just goes on and on and on and on. And on. Um, but I'm the customer who never comes back. And, you know, it's such a great uh, story because, you know, and then we think about the customer who actually does complain and what you might say about that customer, right? It's like, I can't believe that person. So it's really funny that in, 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 and we're talking particularly about the patient experience, right? I've built our company around transforming the experience of the patient in the office. I mean, listen, I've been a patient, you know? I mean, I know what it's like to go in a terrible office. I know what it's like to have a person sitting at the desk who, you know, it says no phone calls and they're on their phone and it says no food and they're eating a donut. And it's like, I mean, we've all experienced what this is like, but so few doctors, and listen, you are running your own practice this is something you want to learn. You you are back with the patients. You you aren't actually seeing what's going on. And these customers simply do not complain. And, you know, the truth is if they did complain, uh, you, most likely your gatekeeper would throw the complaint away because it might be about them, you know. Um, so when you stop and think about your challenge, your challenge is how on earth do we really know? You know, over the years, I've always asked clients or excuse me, maybe people that weren't clients at our events or whatever. I'd say, 
hey, how do you think, you know, your patient services? And I mean, they all immediately go to like, we have the best patient care. Blah, blah. And I was like, well, okay, well, how, well, prove it. And so what's funny about understanding this customer who never, who just leaves, it's, it creates an illusion for the business owner that, that service is good. I mean, listen, and, and remember, if somebody does complain, you want, you, you, you know, within reason, you want to be appreciative of it as long as they're not crazy, but literally, but we get mad at the customer that complains. By the way, I tend to be the guy who would be more like, hey, uh, you know, and, and it's just so funny when you actually are the customer who tells them what you don't like the responses you get. I mean, because basically they turn you into an a-hole, right? So what am I saying to you, okay? Here's the deal. If you think your customer service is good because you don't have any complaints, you're, you're just dead wrong. 98% of the customers will not complain. This is just the way human beings are. They just disappear. So if you really want to know about your customer service, you would look at, okay, well, of all the patients that have ever come in, how many are still here, right? I mean, listen, people just leave. And, and obviously, you know, the truth is there is no accurate feedback loop on your patient service, okay? And, I mean, we've done everything from man-on-the-street interviews to... Uh, interviewing people when they come out of an office, and we kind of know what the the patient is looking for. And for years, you know, we I engineer right for someone hires us. That's that's actually what we do is we're engineering that experience. So I want to share with you a couple of things that have come out of this, and you do with them what you want. But in that process, right, I had to I had to study. So you, you looked at what does a typical office look like? And it's kind of funny when you think about it. So a doctor goes, says, okay, well, I'm going to, maybe they buy a practice or they're going to set up a practice or whatever. And so even if you hire a design firm, okay, so most offices, like if I draw a little picture, you know, you would have this reception room and then you would have a front desk area and the files are back. If you know, back in the day, there was files. You know, most of you probably have digital. But um, then you'd have a person there, and you'd have the phone there, and she, and he or she would be looking at the front door, looking at the waiting room, and so they would, you know, essentially, ideally, make eye contact with people when they come in. They would collect the money. Maybe there's a back counter where they collect the money. But does everybody understand? Like if you were looking at office designs, that's what you would see. And you would think back about every office you've ever been in. And basically you would – that's how every office is designed. So as you know, early on – you know, and it's crazy that you know, for years, right, I was – training and working with people who work at the front desk. And we, we, that, is a, that is a big piece of our business today. And what we worked on is sort of changing the priorities. And the idea was that that person is actually, in many cases, the most ignored person in the office, but actually the most influential when it comes to the patient experience, if you think about it. I mean, 
if what a lot of doctors don't realize is that for the patient, the person they see more than the doctor is that person up front. And it doesn't matter how good the doctor is. It really matters what happens up front. I mean, and I have over the years, I I used to go to offices just for material, right? So I've done a lot of um, sort of it's like a mystery version of a mystery shopper. And I mean, every time I get to go to a doctor, I'm always so excited because I know I'm going to learn something. And I'm just always shocked at how little intention has been put into You know, if you really think about engineering your patient experience, and by the way, the most profitable thing you can do is to make sure that the front experience is engineered correctly, whereas most doctors are going to be thinking that the most important thing is going to be what happens in the back. Well, here's a big idea for you. So one of the things that I discovered very early on is I would go observe, right? And you have to remember that I worked for somebody who had a bunch of offices and I would observe that. And so the first thing I noticed is that this traditional office design where you have a, we'll call it a front desk person with a telephone and like, you know, clipboards and files and watching over the waiting room. And their job was basically to handle anything that walks in the front door. And so I'll remember it was one of the first times I was ever watching this and it was in an office we had. And so I knew there was a patient scheduled for three o'clock and it was like 2.50 and somebody walked in the front door. And the person behind the desk said, can I help you? Okay. And I remember sort of sitting there and she goes, well, I'm Mary Jones. Oh. And then she goes, I'm, I have a three o'clock appointment. And the person behind the desk goes, oh, okay, here's your paperwork. And I just remember thinking to myself, I was like, well, wait a minute. Did you not, I mean, how many people are going to walk in the door? And when you knew there, if you looked at the, at the time there was calendars. So it was like a multiple columns. And I looked at the columns and it said, you know, her name was there. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, what on earth is this person doing? I would have just said, welcome, Miss Jones. And if, if I was wrong, she would say, oh, no, 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 I'm Miss Smith. But if I was right, she's going to be floored that she was greeted by her last name right upon entry. And I just remember sitting there watching this, the person at the front desk, and they, they weren't, this was like, she was making them sort of, restate twice why they were there. And it wasn't like hundreds and hundreds of patients were walking in. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is so weird. So I'd keep observing. And then and then I was watching in, in another office and a patient walked in and the phone rang and the UPS guy walked in. And I mean, it was just, and I was looking at it and I was like, wow, this person's got to handle the UPS guy, the new patient and the phone. And so I studied this for years. And, and what I realized was that unbeknownst to the people in the back, that the person in the front had some inherent limitations and that the 
sort of the makeup of the job was becoming more about, well, like, okay, let me sign for this package. Let me hand you your paperwork. But it really wasn't about the customer experience. It was almost like, well, I just got to check this off the list and check that off the list. And then even when you would have the UPS guy show up and two patients show up and the phone ringing, something had to give, right? And so, and listen, I did this for a long time and, and, and I really looked at it and I just remember thinking to myself, I was like, well, wait a minute. How could you fix this? And so over the years, and here's the big idea, over the years, as we would get clients who would expand offices, I started teaching the concept of taking the telephones off the front desk. And by the way, many large group practices have adopted my strategy, right? So they don't actually allow... So even if they have five locations, sometimes they handle the phones in a central location. And, and I, you know, that was a big deal. Like I started championing that. And I remember people were going, well, you can't do that. You can't do that. And so if you think about this is like a great challenge for you, if you want a big idea, okay, you get your phones off the front desk. And let me tell you why. Because two terrible things are happening when your phones are on the front desk. Number one the phones are typically in dental offices and most doctors' offices around the country today, we're still at 95% people call in. And so to make an appointment. So what's so crazy is when the person who's answering the phone is also greeting the patients, more importantly, and again, I mean, either, you know, however you want to look at this, going back to this nice customer, when a customer walks in and a person is on the phone and they kind of blow them off, there's nothing worse, right? There's no worse experience than walking into a business and you're just sitting, standing across a desk and somebody's like holding a finger up like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'll be with you in a minute. And so I saw this just in, first of all, it's a design flaw that was, it's sort of like you copy somebody, but you don't know that they're wrong. And so I, I challenge you to get your phones off your front desk. Because when we think about bottlenecks, the phone is certainly the most natural bottleneck. So what we also discovered was that what a lot of people would do if they were faced with two patients walking in the door or one checking out and the phone ringing, sometimes they would just let the phone go to voicemail. So I started digging into that deeper and found that, wait a minute, wait a minute, people, they don't call back. So they just move on, like particularly back in those days, it, it, they were pulling out of the yellow pages and so they would just go to the next doctor in the yellow pages or the next next doctor on Google and they'd place that phone call. They, they don't, you know, now today, people don't love to leave messages. They want to get an answer right away. So it's even more amplified today. So if you think about, so think about your office and think about the person at the front and, and just the big idea is, say, what would it take to get these phones off? Now, listen, what we also discovered is there were a lot of offices that if you constructed in a certain way, you know, you would certainly have a limitation that says, I can't get the phones off the front desk. So for, you know, maybe the big idea for you is, is, hey, what would it take? And, and here's sort of the sad part. For some people, they're never going to get another office because of this very problem. Like they're never going to get another office because that person at the front will always be a bottleneck and they will never figure out that that's why the practice won't grow. I mean, it's crazy. 
And so take that and do with it what you want. I mean, so I say, hey, take the phones off the front desk. I can't take the phones off the front desk. See, this was actually, if you think about it, if you only had one employee, well, they'd probably work at the front desk. But like what but what happens is we copy something not knowing the unintended consequences of this. So what happens when we take the phones off the front desk is two things happen. Number one, the person on the phone is fully present and never interrupted. Therefore, we increase the total amount of the number of people they're able to schedule. And, and it is much better. The second thing that happens is you completely transform the actual patient experience. Because remember, what we do, Scheduling Institute reinvents the experience of the customers. Like, it's a, it's a money-making machine. Like, if you understand anything about your business, like, listen, if you screw up the front, you're in trouble. That's why that's part of the area we concentrate on SI, in SI. And so when I take the phones off the front desk, a couple of things happen. You never walk in and somebody's on the phone. I mean, just think about the number of times that would occur in a small office. I mean, it could happen like seven, eight, nine, ten times a day. You never have to look away from the patient. You now have the ability to be prepared to say the person's name when they walk in. You have the ability to actually strategically relate to them. You have the ability to apply principles of influence to them, which we train people to do. You're so much more intentional. And remember, the reason why the front desk experience is so important and quite frankly so detrimental or so lucrative, depending on how it's handled, is this nice customer issue, right? If you wow them, basically everyone is trained to have such a terrible experience at the doctor that when you walk in and have a great experience, it's almost mind-boggling and you have to tell somebody. And so like we've been engineering this for years and look, there's a lot of pieces to it, but basically what it does, and this is what a lot of people don't realize I mean, I had clients who came to me and they were getting five patient referrals a month. And then not long down the road, they're getting 50 patient referrals a month. And, and the reason is predominantly based on this activity, predominantly based on a trained staff taking what we have developed based on my years and years of research, applying it in their office, and literally just transforming the way the patient, the experience of the patient walking in. And to the point that they, the bar is so low that when you deliver it right, they got to call their friends and tell them and they refer people. And you're basically doubling every new patient that comes, if not tripling or quadrupling them. But the whole core of the thing is that if you look at the dysfunction, it makes zero sense that the phones are on the front desk because literally you're dropping the experience of the calling customer and you're dropping the experience of the customer walking in the front door. It's crazy. And capacity, by the way, capacity is not what you think as the doctor. Capacity is exactly what the team thinks they're capable of. So when you look at the capability of this front desk person, it has these 
inherent limits. And see, that's what I picked up on very quickly. What I was realizing when I was watching this, I was like, wow, this person actually is doing so many different tasks and those tasks are you can't necessarily just schedule them when you want. Some of them are just, you know, have to happen at certain times that, you know, the issue of service and efficiency and preparation sometimes go out the window. But yet every single doctor who will open a new office this year will put everything at the front. I mean, it's unbelievable. Even design firms don't know to do this, right? You could, you could hire a design firm and they will design an office with this and they will never, ever, ever, right, even give you this idea. Ready to increase your patient referrals from five a month to 50 a month? Take the five-star challenge today and one of Jay's team members will conduct a secret shopper call to your practice and reveal to you how your patient experience compares to other practices in your community. Your ranking will reveal just how many new patients you're missing out on each month. Request your call and free report online today at www.5starchallenge.com. Now, listen, for some of you, I realize this is a challenge, but let it enter into your mind. And listen, if and you got to remember, this is what's funny. Customers not complaining is does not mean you're doing a good job. That, that is that's why I love this book so much, because it basically, you know, listen, again, the one that complains, your receptionist, or your front desk person is probably going to try to hide that complaint, to be quite honest with you. She's not going to give it to you. So you would never even know they complained. Okay. So, remove the phones from the front desk. Number two, and I know this first one's going to take some digesting of you, so, but I'll give you another one. So, another thing that happened is I started studying the doctor behavior. So, in the same office, what you would find is you have treatment rooms, right? You have treatment rooms. And then in some offices, the doctor builds a little I'll call it the doctor's office, okay? Now, and again, remember, we work with all kinds of offices. And I have, right, I have literally, what we do is I, I engineer this experience, practice grows, person buys a bigger office. I mean, this is what, like what we do. So when we go to make the bigger office, we get the opportunity to do these kind of things that will really create some scalability. But the second big idea, and it's, again, based out of a study of observation, and it's so weird. So this one is about the doctor. So the doctor typically will create an office, okay? And it's really funny when you talk to people about their office. So there was one time I asked, I don't remember, I had, maybe it was a coaching group or something, and I, I asked everybody, I said, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to come back with a photo of your office. And so everybody brought a photo of their office. And so we laid out all the photos of the offices. And it was funny because there was a lot of similarities. There weren't any really like Taj Mahal offices. They were more like um, there was stacks of stuff in them. There was maybe a computer in it. And it was sort of the safe zone, if you would, for the doctor. And so as time went on and I was working with doctors who were trying to really grow their practice and, you know, we would interview, we'd, you know, we have a big team university, so we get a lot of perspective from all the different positions. So, you know, I'm getting feedback from 
assistance. We're getting feedback from front desk people. We're getting, you know, uh, advice and hygienists. And, and, and so one of the feedback points that we got many years ago and still do is that people would talk about the doctor going in the office, right? I mean, they didn't say, like, they're in the bathroom. They say they're in the office. And so... And what they were doing in the office is maybe they were on the phone or they were uh, talking on the com- they were on the computer or playing a video game. I don't know what they're doing, but this is all this has been like a recurring theme, right? And so the second big idea, and by the way, this is for people who want to be really productive. So, and I remember, you know, by the way, all the money gets made in treatment rooms. So this kind of also started because I would get a client needed like three rooms. And I was like, you know, you need a fourth room. And we'd look at their floor plan and the only thing would be their office. And so I would say, well, okay. And they'd say, well, I have five more years on the lease. And I was like, okay, well, okay, get rid of your office. And they would, you know, be taken back. And I said, listen, if you make that office an operatory, now you get, you know, it gets you to five operatories. And so here's the money on that, right? If you're doing, right, the money is very attractive. I mean, adding $35,000 a month, you know, if I said to you, would you rent this office for $35,000 a month? The answer would not be yes. You wouldn't do it. But if you could make 35000 or 30000 a month in that operatory, then essentially you're renting it for that, Okay. And of course, and they were like, well, I can't get rid of it. So I said, well, listen, let's, so I started looking at it and, and I realized what was happening. And, you know, in a typical doctor's office, if you think about it, it's very front stage driven. In other words, you're treating a patient. Okay. But the offices ended up being sort of these depression chambers, right? So think about your office and just ask yourself, when you go sit in your office, what, what, what's happening? And so, so for instance, for many years, I never had an office. I work out of a conference room. And um, now I'm thinking right now, I'm back to kind of having a bit of an office. And if you were to go in there and you'd look at the papers on the desk, right? Uh, that's why I got to get rid of that office. It, it, and so I've done this, you know, many different times in different ways. But generally, I was always much more productive not having an office. And, and I kind of used mine for some videos and stuff. And that's why I did it. But think about this. So... If you convert an office to an operatory, and then people would always say, well, what's going to happen to all the stuff? So the question is, when you go to your office, are you inspired? Is it pleasant? Or is it sort of like a reminder of everything you didn't do? And so it was funny. We started getting rid of offices. And then people would say, well, what about all my stuff? And I was like, well, who else do you have? And they go, well, I have an office manager. And I was like, well, move it all into her office or whatever. Or move it to the front, anywhere, Right. And so if you're looking for, you know, if you're struggling with productivity and it's crazy, having a hiding place may be one of the most unhealthy things you could possibly have because, and by the way, you know, these pictures, right? I would look at these pictures and I was like, man, this is more like a closet. And, and then they have stacks and stacks and stacks of papers all lined up. And, you know, I would always ask people, say, like, well, what else you got in there? And somebody would say, well, I got a bottle of booze in the bottom drawer. You know, it was like, and then it was, okay. So, so you're going to sit there and you're going to go, well, I have to have an office. Well, wait a minute. That's like saying you have to have your phones at the front desk. No, that's just the way you choose to look at it. And so if, when I took the people's offices away, it's kind of funny. And by the way, there is a corollary to this. And the corollary is that 
if you want to do well, you should actually have an office at your house. So it's funny, you, I won't go into this whole detail, but for instance, we teach our clients to have an office at their house and to not need an office at their office. And now, because we believe they should get their personal stuff done before they show up, and then the entire time you're there, you're just present for patients and present for your team. And that's a huge shift in the way people people do this. Now, I'm not going to suggest that if you have a small office that you're going to engineer these two things, but it could be highly likely that you have a major capacity problem and you have a lease that doesn't get off for three years and that capacity problem takes away your entire confidence to expand and get a new building and you actually, the reason why your new patients don't continue to go up is because you have this horrible um, blockade at the front and... And then again, you'll diagnose it as if, well, there's not more new patients. So then you then you sign another lease and you stay in the depression chamber for five or 10 more years. And it's totally the wrong decision. And these are some of the things that could have caused you to jam people in that office so that you would be self-confident enough to go, hey, I, I have capacity. And, and here's what we found is when you build capacity, it's crazy. It fills up. But there's this teetering point. And, you know, it's crazy to think of how many doctors have been stuck in terribly small, inappropriate spaces for many, many years, thinking that there wasn't more patience to be had. And it was actually because the entire time they had all these functions occurring with one person at the front desk. Isn't that crazy? I mean, like, I think a lot of retirement accounts have not got funded because of this. I think a lot of a lot of um, um, sacrifices have been made because of this. A lot of poor team members who have to work in offices that have no growth potential because of a bottleneck at the front. I mean, I think it's like an epidemic. And so it's a big idea. And and you you very well may be suffering from this condition and totally missing the diagnosis and throwing things at it, thinking that marketing would fix it. It wouldn't. Thinking that, you know, you need to bring in a consultant to do X, Y, or Z or whatever. And it turns out that I mean, it's as simple as you have this bottleneck at the front that you continue to choose to ignore. And even if a guy like me comes along and says, hey, listen, I can easily show you how to fix this. And you're like, well, I don't have that problem. I have another problem. And you misdiagnose the situation. So get your phones off the front desk. Get rid of your office. Turn it into an operatory. And which whatever amount of pain or discomfort those two comments cause you is probably indicative to your sight here. You know what I mean? It's probably like it's probably a corollary to your lack of vision around what these things would actually mean. And if you and if your you know your visceral reaction was negative and how, oh, that would never work, you're dead wrong. As a matter of fact, it'll never work to keep it the way you have it, actually. In other words, you can keep it that way, but nothing will change in the practice. 
And what sucks is the patients are the ones who suffer. I mean, this is the part that's so bizarre. You'll have a doctor. See, the team member doesn't, it's not your team member's job to diagnose the problem. It's yours. They're just doing what you tell them to do. And so if the bar is low, that's where they're going to go. If, you know, we come in and say, whoa, 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 we're going to engineer this entire thing around the patients. Now, all of a sudden, what the team member wants to do for their own comfort or their own pleasure is no longer relevant. It's what's best for the patient. There is no way you could make a case. I mean, if you had to uh, write a doctoral thesis on why, why... It was a brilliant idea that every doctor who ever opened up an office set it up that way. You'd be, you'd have, you'd find no evidence. Like there is nothing that suggests this is a good idea. But yet, every single doctor, every single design firm, every time I see someone do a new office, is not my client. I'm like, what are you doing? And and it's because. We're not engineering it backwards, right? You want to engineer practice so that when a new patient walks in, that patient, the process will basically guarantee that that person will send another person in a short period of time to your office. It's like a... It's just doubling the new patient, doubling the new patient. And sometimes being... You know, when you're back treating the patients, you know... You're thinking that, well, if I do a good job with the patient, is that what's going to cause that to occur? The research actually does not suggest that is true. What we found is you could have a really great doctor. You may be an amazing person. You may be a great doctor. Your patients may like you a lot. You're good with them and so on and so forth. But what happens when they walk in and the experience they go through is unpleasant. Therefore, I'm not going to tell anybody about you. If I walk in and you got a gal who's on the phone and she's pointing at me and I'm having to wait and, and she's dealing with the UPS man, she's signing somebody out, why would I refer someone to you? Because I'm already looking at the thing going, this person can't even handle the hot mess she's got or he or she has in front of them, why would I refer the, another patient? I mean, you walk into a typical office, it looks like this. There's just no reason for you to think that they would have any more capacity to deal with patients. So you wouldn't tell your friends. You know, you're like, you're like, I'd like you to go to my doctor because these experiences. So you should see it. You walk in, there's a receptionist. She sits behind a counter. She's got a really cozy chair. She doesn't get up. And it's so great. She Sometimes I go in and she's on the phone. Sometimes she's checking a person out. Sometimes it takes takes about two or three minutes for her to make eye contact with me. You have got to check this place out. I mean, it is great. Now, listen, so she's got some figurines on the counter. I mean, come on, give me a break. So remember, if you think you're going to find this stuff out because a customer complains, that's not how customers work. It is not the customer's job to complain. They're paying you. You're not paying them. I have tested this. I have complained when I should complain. It is rarely met with the appropriate response. I have, I, I'm doing everything I can to not bother, right? <laughs> so I, it, it was good. I was able to actually turn it into some, to create some value out of it, right? But please understand, this is yours to fix. It's not your front desk person. As a matter of fact, your front desk person may resist this at every single turn, and that's fine. I found good ones absolutely don't. They actually believe in what makes sense. 
They're open. They have a lot of fun with it. All right, listen, I got to run. So if you want our help, you know what to do. There's a lot of options. I suggest you take the five-star challenge. The five-star challenge is actually a test of your front desk. comes back to you with specific data. You can book a call for that, right? But take those two big ideas and challenge yourself to think through them. And I'm glad to help you if I can. Have a great day. Take care. Bye. Ready to take the five-star challenge? Go online to fivestarchallenge.com today and sign up for this free assessment. Jay's team will make a mystery patient call to your office and provide you with a full written and audio report that reveals real data about your practice's patient experience. Remember what Jay said, 95% of people call in to make an appointment. Don't you want to know what type of experience your front desk is creating for your patients? Find out today at fivestarchallenge.com and discover how much revenue you're leaving on the table each month.